Our passage this morning is once again from the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Luke 11, 33 to 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we approach you in your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that the light of Christ may shine upon us, shine in us, and shine through us for your glory and for the advance of your kingdom. Lord, we pray confident that your Holy Spirit will work in conjunction with your word to shine into the dark places of our lives. And Lord, to bring light and to bring life. And, and Lord, we pray that that would be true this morning for us who are here as believers. For Lord, we need more of your light. And Lord, if there are those who are hearing this who are unbelievers, who are in the darkness of death, we pray, Lord, for them as well, that you will bring light to them, that you will enlighten their spiritual eyes, that they may see Christ and respond to him in repentance and faith, that they also may be conduits of your light for the glory of your name in a world that is so dark and so desperately needs the light of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Picture yourself driving through the desert. You took a wrong turn somewhere, and it's getting dark, and you have absolutely no idea where you are. Your gas light came on a long time ago, and you have seen, you haven't seen another car in equally as long. You're starting to get a little bit worried and wondering what it would be like to spend the night in the desert when the unthinkable happens. Your car's engine sputters and dies. And after sitting there for a, a while, you figure the best thing you can do is to get out of your car and to start walking. So you step out of the car and you find the darkness overwhelming. The darkness is so thick that it's palpable. The stars seem so close that you could almost touch them, but it is still pitch black. You continue in the same direction you were going. You walk and you walk along that dark road, stumbling regularly on unseen rocks and potholes. 
and eventually the road turns to gravel and then to dirt. And after walking a, another long while on that dirt road, you come up to the shapes of buildings. It's so dark that you didn't even see them until that you would come up right upon them. You think, at last, I'm, I'm safe. And so you feel your way up to the first door and knock. Remembering Jesus' parable of the persistent neighbor. You wait. And then you knock again, more loudly this time. Nothing. You go to the next door and knock. Again, nothing. Door after door and no one answers. And you're beginning to feel a little bit desperate. So you go down the street and you yell as loudly as you can, Hello! There's no reply except for the yip of a coyote and the, the, the coyote howling back at you from the distance. A shiver runs down your spine. and You wonder how a town could be so sleepy, so hospitable, or so empty. Resolutely, you go back up to the closest door and bang on the door hard. You gasp as the door swings open under the force of your hand. Well, you're committed now. Maybe you can use the person's phone. You think, if only I had a light or a candle or anything so I could see. Do you feel your way around? And then you realize there's no other walls beyond the front wall. This isn't a house at all. This is just a facade. Dread fills your heart as you realize that you've only stumbled upon what must be an old abandoned movie set from some old western. Every building is merely a facade. And who knows where you'll find help or if, you, or if you'll ever find help or if you will die there in the desert. If only you had stayed with your car. The rising of the sun would have revealed the interstate only a stone's throw away yet concealed by darkness in the dark of night. Many people are so in the dark that they have no idea where they are. Many don't even know where they took the wrong turn. And they don't have the sense to do a U-turn to get back on track, but they doggedly continue on their path, dark though it may be. And they hope for some source of light that will never be discerned on that path. Now, they may see light, but it's only a phantom light at best, perhaps a, a will-of-the-wisp swamp gas that only leads you deeper into the swamp. But even worse, it may be the deceiver, Satan himself disguised as an angel of light. In our passage this morning, Jesus uses a common metaphor, light, as a parable to reveal the truth about himself and those he illumines as opposed to those who are blind to him and to his message. This passage follows closely with the previous one. Many couldn't see the sign, Jesus Christ. The majority of those to whom Jesus ministered were blind. They were spiritually blind. Those Jews who claimed to see were blind, but Gentile outsiders like 
the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba saw clearly. Unless you see the sign of Jesus Christ, you will be blind. Well, here in this passage, we see that Jesus is the light. And failure to see Jesus as the light means that you are in utter darkness. Like the Pharisees in John 9, who condemned the man born blind when he testified to the fact that Jesus had healed him, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. John 9, 39. Do you truly see? Well, this morning we're going to see, first of all, eyes that see the light in verses 33 and 34a. Then eyes that cannot see the light in verses 34b and 35. And finally, lives that shine the light in verse 36. So first of all, verses 33 and 34a, eyes that see the light. Jesus says in verse 33, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, Jesus uses this parable on at least two other occasions. In Luke 8.16, as we saw some months ago, he uses it to teach something parallel to what he's teaching here, to warn people to take heed how they hear his message. Jesus also uses it in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5.15, to show disciples their mandate to shine the light. Now, both principles are in view in this passage. But the emphasis here is is slightly different. Here Jesus is revealing that he himself is the light. That Jesus is the light. Jesus declared in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. Jesus is light, and his light reveals the glory of God. For as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, who let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The bright light of Jesus was not put in a cellar or under a basket was there for all to see. The light of Christ shone brightly throughout his incarnation. His light was visible for those with eyes to see throughout the whole of his incarnation from his birth as shepherds rejoiced in his light. And kings came to worship at his light and to his dedication at the temple when Simeon and Anna also rejoiced in his light to the incident in the temple when the 12-year-old Jesus amazed the rabbis. I'm sure there there are many other times that Jesus shone the light, but it's only these who were recorded for us in the Gospels prior to his three years ministry. It is during the three years of his earthly ministry that his light is revealed most powerfully. Again, remember with his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and the Father declared, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
He shone the light as in the power of the Holy Spirit. He taught the assembled crowds, proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He shone the light as he performed countless miracles, healing the lame and the lepers, giving sight to the blind, feeding the multitude twice from a few loaves and fish, calming storms, casting out demons, and even raising the dead. But only a select few, Peter, James, and John, saw the light of Jesus unveiled. For it was on the Mount of Transfiguration when his glory was revealed, and again the Father thundered from heaven, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to him. As Jesus traveled towards Jerusalem in this, the final phase of his earthly ministry, the numbers of crowds increased greatly, but the numbers of disciples didn't. As we just saw, the only one who we see responding favorably to Jesus after he cast the demon out and, and, and taught about spiritual deliverance is this woman from Luke eleven twenty seven, who blessed Jesus' mother and in so doing blessed him for his teaching. She saw the light and recognized the light, and so Jesus revealed more of his light to her by pointing her to the necessity of attention and obedience to his word. But the crowds, even his own people, would reject him. He said in John 12, 32, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The people would reject him and hand him over to the Romans to crucify him. And it's here also where Jesus' light shone brightly, putting all of the attributes of God on display, God's holiness and righteousness and justice revealed as he reveals God's hatred of sin by punishing sin on his sinless son. But also his love and his grace and his mercy shine brightly as it is through that death that salvation is effected for the elect. Jesus would be lifted up and hung on a cross and lowered into the earth, but after three days and three nights, he would be lifted up from the grave in the, in the resurrection, again witnessed by a multitude. And for 40 days, after the resurrection, Jesus would continue to minister to his people until he would be lifted up to heaven in the ascension. But then even after his ascension, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples, they would lift up his name throughout the known world and lift up his name by writing it down, recording it in Scripture. Jesus' disciples are still continuing to shine the light of Christ. They lift up his holy name. So Jesus says in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of the body. It's with the eyes, with spiritual eyes, that you see Jesus. Yet, you were born blind. And so was I. All people apart from Adam and Eve have been born blind because of Adam's sin. 
without being born again, without being regenerated, you will not see the light. Without this work, you won't even recognize the light when you see it. Without seeing the light, you are in darkness. Without seeing the light, you were dead. As King David wrote of the Lord in Psalm 36, 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. J.C. Ryle warned, It is not sufficient to hear it and to assent to it and to admire it, but to acknowledge its truth. It must be received into the heart and obeyed in the life. It's only the Lord who can open eyes. You cannot see the light. You will not see the light unless the Lord opens your eyes to the light. The Lord opens eyes through the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3.3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom, let alone enter it, unless the Holy Spirit does a work of regeneration in you. As Jesus goes on to say in John 3, that again, that, that being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to C.H. Spurgeon. Knowledge, grace, and truth are the nurses of true faith. The light of God is needful to the life of God. We must know Christ. We must be illuminated by His Holy Spirit. We must have fellowship with the Father's truth, or else we are dead as well as dark. Faith is a gift as the Holy Spirit grants spiritual sight, helping sinners to see the truth of the word of God. So Jesus continues in verse 34, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Once the truth has been revealed to you, your spiritual eyes are open and you will never see things the same way again. When your spiritual eyes have been opened, you cannot unsee what you have seen. It's like closing your eyes on a dull, gray winter afternoon and then opening them to see a sunny summer morning. The beauty around you is immediately enlightened to your eyes. The, the blue sky, the trees, the flowers are all communicated to your consciousness through your eyes. And the same is true of spiritual sight. Everything looks different because you have seen the light of Christ. As Ephesians 5, 13 and 14 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Again, this is not true for the majority. Most of the people around you can't see. They are in complete and utter darkness. Though they claim to be able to see, they are blind to the reality of Jesus Christ. They are blind to his light. So then let's consider verses 34b and 35, eyes that can't see. So Jesus cautions in the second half of verse 34, when your eye is bad, your body is 
full of darkness. Verse 35, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. I know what it's like to have bad eyes. I've had to wear glasses since I was in middle school. Now, by prescription, really didn't, didn't change very much until about five years ago when smaller prints started to get fuzzy and, and I wasn't able to, to read books as well as I used to. I said a few weeks ago that I, I've been on a search for new glasses and I, I finally ordered some, but the, the lenses didn't pass inspection of the factory, so it looks like we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for my glasses to come. I know what it's like to have, to have bad eyes, even with glasses. Driving at night has become a lot more challenging. My night vision has begun to deteriorate. My, my headlights just don't seem bright enough. And the head, but the headlights of, of oncoming cars, and not even just those, those obnoxious ones, headlights of oncoming cars dazzle my eyes. But my bad physical sight is nothing compared to when I once lived in spiritual blindness. Went into it a little bit last week. But your sin didn't have to look like mine for you to be full of darkness. Again, we were all born, excuse me, spiritually blind. We physically saw the same things as everyone else, but we could not see Jesus. We could not see the truths of the gospel. Even many of us who, who grew up in church had, had, had seen and, and heard the, the truths of the gospel proclaimed again and again and again, but they were in darkness. We were in darkness. We're like the anti-theists I spoke of last week from Romans 1. Even creation is a testimony. But the anti-theist hardens his or her heart against God and, and says, I don't believe in him. Because he or she hates God. And so God gives them over to their hardness. He gives them over to their sin. Well, that was you and me. That was you and me until the light of Christ came flooding in through the power of the Holy Spirit. Darkness conceals, but light reveals. As Jesus taught in John 3, 20 and 21, I was read for this earlier. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus' warning is explicit in verse 35. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. It's possible to be so deceived by darkness that even what you think of as light is actually darkness. Be careful. Take very special care. There are many who think they are in light, and even those who are listening to my voice right now Many who think that they are in light, but are actually in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, but most, even those who claim to see him, are blind to the truth. Now, this was true during 
his earthly ministry, as the vast majority of those who had seen him perform miracles and heard his teaching still couldn't see. Like the two groups you looked at earlier after he'd cast out the mute demon. Earlier in this chapter, when the, the first group, after he cast out the demon, accused Jesus of doing this through the prince of darkness. And the second group had, group had also seen the same light, but demanded more light. They claimed to be enlightened, but their failure to see proved that they were in darkness. And the same is true in the visible church today. Many claim to see Jesus, but are in darkness. Years ago, when I used to lock up the church after family night, I would challenge myself to, in the gym, I'd challenge myself to, to make a, a mental map of the room and then I would turn off the lights and then, and then try to get to the other side. I don't really know why I did that. It probably wasn't very wise. But, but, but this, I remember particularly one time the lights were off or like the bulbs were out in one of the exit lights. Now we have fixed those. But it was really, really dark in there. Even with really good night vision, which even then I didn't really have, you wouldn't be able to see. I remember going quickly through the room trying to get to the other side and, and then barking my shin on a chair. I remember it so well, it made my eyes water and, and gave me a huge goose egg on my shin. I hope I've learned my lesson from that, but even though I did actually do it yesterday, but it was downstairs in the classroom, there was a little bit of light there. But maybe you often feel like you're wandering around in darkness trying to find your way. And maybe you don't even know why. Well, the present circumstances in our lives, aggravate the situation. We're living in very complicated times. The obstacles are far bigger than chairs, and, and the dangers more lethal than a barked shin. And some try to find their own way. Many try to find their own way, and they are in grave danger. But even Christians can try to find their own light and thereby compound their problems. Listen to Isaiah chapter 50, 10 and 11, where we see the jeopardy that these people are in. Isaiah 50, 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. The danger is God himself. The scriptures reveal clearly that it is, it is God who opens eyes. God is sovereign. Yet the scriptures also teach that humanity is also responsible. You cannot stop the sun from rising, but you are responsible to make sure you do not block its light. You must be careful, as Jesus warns here, lest the light in you be darkness. 
Now, there are many, many things that keep people from seeing. I'm going to go through 12 of the most common. But again, there are others. Now, these are, are primarily a danger for unbelievers who are in utter darkness. But many of these can also prevent believers who have the light from seeing the light and from letting the light penetrate and permeate their lives as it should. So 12 things that keep you from seeing the light. Presupposition. People have presuppositions, ways that they view the world. Now, quite often they have been informed by, by worldly thinking. Things like, like evolution and secular humanism and atheism, or miraculously, anti-theism are, are prevalent in our culture in a way that they weren't 200, even 100 years ago. And so because of the hardness of people's hearts, people gravitate to these presuppositions that prejudice them against the truth. Two, religion. Now religion is, religion can be true. It can lead you to the truth, but, but every other religion except one will lead you away from the truth. Even many religions that claim to be Christian are actually leading you away from the truth. When there's doctrines that you have been so accustomed to that are actually a lie. So that when someone comes and reveals the truth to you from God's word, it sounds like a lie. Religion has so twisted your mind that you think truths are lies. Regular participation in religious services can also blind you to the truth. If you repeatedly take the Lord's Supper while having a hardened and unregenerate heart, you are blinding yourself to the truth. Three, legalism. Works-based righteousness, using your attempts at obedience or your morality to try to earn favor with God. Four, Phariseeism. Phariseeism goes beyond legalism because it is now adding to the word of God as a measure of righteousness. It's making up commandments that aren't there in the word of God. Five, distraction. Distraction ranges from, from distraction to mere frivolity, like entertainment and pleasure, to distraction by even good things, like work and family. And these things, even frivolity, aren't bad in and of themselves so long as they're in their proper place. And they're undertaken for the glory of God. Laziness. Number six, laziness, trying to discover the truth and walk in its truth, you find to be too much effort. So you can't content just passively receive everything that comes to you. Digging into God's word and, and fighting your flesh to come to him in prayer are, are, are too much of a challenge for you. So you're hindered from seeing the truth. Seven, Compromise. 
rejecting what is clearly taught in God's word to make a deal with the world. They're trying to have your feet in both camps. Eight, half-heartedness. Following Jesus sometimes, or following him from afar, or following him without love and worship. Nine, double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is the wicked stepsister of half-heartedness. It's being of, of two opinions. It's not making up your mind about the truth and following the truth without deviation. Ten, fear of man. Where, where people are so consumed with what others think that they will not come to the truth. They will not let the, line of, the light of Jesus shine in them. In my generation, it was largely the fear of man from, from being labeled a, a Bible thumper or a Jesus freak. Well, now it's more the fear of being narrow-minded or bigoted for believing the objective truths of the Bible as the only truth. Eleven, love of sin. I've already referred to this in John 3, 10, uh, 20 and 21. People will not come to the light because they do not want their sin to be exposed, let alone rooted out. And then finally, pride, number 12. Pride, of course, is the root of all of the above. But pride is so prevalent in our hearts that it needs to be considered in its own category. Pride is, is in this sense, is the, the view that you've got it all figured out. The, the view that you don't need help, thank you very much. The proud person is not willing to be taught by anyone. Proud people have to come to their own conclusions. And if the proud person listens to a teacher, they only, they only use teachers who teach what is in accordance with what they already believe. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 warns that for people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. These obstacles keep people from coming to the light to be saved. But brothers and sisters, these 12 and many others are a danger to you as well as they keep the light from penetrating and permeating your life. Take care that these hindrances do not keep you from seeing and shining the light of Christ. Well, finally, let's consider verse 36. Lives that shine the light. Jesus finishes this section of his teaching on a very positive note. We've, we've just seen the, the flagrant re rejection of Jesus again and again and again by these, these crowds. Only one person, it seems, fr from this, this whole passage of teaching, at least that we're, we're told here, only one person seems to have responded positively to Jesus. But he ends here on a very positive note. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be holy light. It's when a lamp with its rays, gives you light. Returning to my image from, from the introduction, many have gone to knock on a door for help only to find it was only facade. 
There was no help to be found there. But now let's turn the image around. Now it's Jesus at the door. And he isn't coming to the door for help, but he's coming to the door to help. And you let Jesus into your house. And the believer, this is not just a facade, but it's an actual house. And when Jesus comes to your door, you gladly open the door and let him in. But you know what it was like when the light of Christ first shone on you. When the light first comes, it's, it's painfully bright to those who are accustomed to living in darkness. It's like when, when someone throws the curtains open first thing in the morning. Your darkness is exposed. What, what has been hidden for years it is now exposed to his omniscient eye. Or rather, it's been exposed all along. And you're now aware that it's, been expo- that it's been exposed. Psalm 39, 1 to 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The omniscience of God is terrifying for a believer. Yet it is also comforting and attractive. But an unbeliever, however, recoils from the light. But the believer now wants sin to be exposed. The believer now wants the Lord to shine his light in the dark corners of your life. The the believer wants the light of Jesus to fill the house. And so Jesus comes into your kitchen to look in the pantry, the refrigerator. He comes into your dining room. He observes the conversations that take place there. He comes into your lounge. He knows what you've been watching on TV. He comes into your study. You may be able to hide your browsing history from others, but not from him. Jesus comes into your bedroom. He opens the closet and he pulls the skeletons out. But when Jesus comes into the house, he doesn't just expose the sin. He removes it. The spiders and and creepy crawlies scurry for cover. But his light will soon expose and exterminate them. And other creepy crawlies that are, are better hidden under cover will soon be exposed and exterminated as well. All the packages of junk that we've accumulated over the years, he will remove. Like 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and we've all got junk. Jesus points at it and removes it. A darkened mind begins to be transformed. A seared conscience begins to 
feel again. And you begin to feel truly at home in your house because Jesus now lives there. Because it's not your house anymore. Unlike the demon's house in Luke 11, 24 to 26, Jesus resides in your house. Jesus owns the house. You've given him the house keys. Brothers and sisters, the light of Jesus is shining in you. You have had your eyes opened to see the sunny summer morning. You have seen Jesus. And the beauty around you is evident to you because you now see the world with the light of Christ. And you're being transformed by the inside out. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Ephesians 5.8 At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. The light is shining in you, and the light is shining through you. When the light of Christ fills a house, his light streams out the windows. And lost travelers coming to your street, like the illustration at the beginning, will see the light coming from your house, and they'll be drawn to it. And the darker the street, the more brightly your light will shine. like a lighthouse shines to warn a ship of the danger of the rocks, the light of your house will brightly shine and warn people that their danger becoming shipwrecked. Have you ever entered a house where the peace of Christ truly reigns? It's like a shelter in the storm. Just just sitting on the couch, sitting with his family, with the light of Christ is shining in them, the light of Christ is shining through them. It, 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 it's peaceful, no matter what is going on out there. There is peace in the home because Christ has shone his light in the hearts of its residents. Have you given Jesus your house keys? Have you responded to Jesus in repentance and faith? You must respond to Jesus. We saw just a couple weeks ago about what happens when to the person who, who cleans up their life a little bit, who gets a literal religion. The demons or the sins which, which left will come back and, and make the, the, the fate of that house even worse. You will lose everything. Jesus wants it all. Salvation is giving up your whole life to him, submitting to him, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord. And so responding to the light of Jesus is not just responding to, to, to do these things as a, an academic exercise, but genuine faith, genuine response to him, genuine response to Jesus Christ, the God-man, to the person, Jesus Christ. Have you responded 
to Jesus Christ? Have you responded and received the light of Jesus Christ? Because in the light of Christ, you see God. In the light of Christ shining through you, others see God. One day, unless the Lord returns sooner, your eyes will close in death. Will your eyes close in death to the darkness of eternity separated from Christ? Or will they open in the presence of the Lord in glory for all eternity? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your light. And for in your light, we see light. And for in your face, we see the glory of God. Lord, we praise you that these things have been revealed to us through the power of your Holy Spirit working in conjunction with your word so that your light has shone in us and that your light is continuing to transform us from the inside out, conforming us to the image of Christ as we have been predestined to be made. Lord God, I pray that, that you will help us Lord, to welcome your light, to, through the strength of your spirit, to overcome the hindrances which keep us from your light and help us to embrace your light and to, to welcome your light to shine into the deepest recesses of our hearts that we might increasingly see ourselves as you see us. Lord, as sinners, yes, but as sinners who have been saved by your amazing grace. Lord, may others be drawn to your light shining through us so that we can warn them of coming destruction and that they would flee to Christ themselves and that they themselves would also have light. May that be true even this morning as, as people hear this word, as, as those who are unregenerate who hear this message. May, may each one see Christ through these frail and flawed human words. May they too respond to Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit and for the glory of your name that sinners may turn to you and shine the light of Christ in this sin-sick world. We ask this in the beautiful, majestic name of Jesus Christ, the light of God and the only Savior. Amen.